Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where each week we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. What's going on, Tim? Danny. Uh, okay, so recently, mm-hmm. I have something that I, I experienced a phenomenon recently. A it wasn't the one. first time, but I want to see if it's relatable to you. So I was at Shaw's uh, last weekend with Shannon, Liz, and Brian. And, you know, I love Shaw's. Great spot. I, oh, I noticed, actually, this is kind of aside from that, but behind the host stand, there's a thing that says the Lunch Club, mm-hmm. and it's a bunch of names on plaques. Did you f- see my name there? I didn't see your name there. Oh, It doesn't man. belong. <laughs> and, but I, I got, you know, I like I liked stuff like that. So I asked my server, I'm like, you know, what's up with the Lunch Club? He's like, oh, you have to eat here twice a week. And then he walked away, and I had more questions. So I'm not really sure what that means. Like, do you have to do that for a year? Do you, do you yeah, have when to, do you get exactly? Yeah, when does do it you eat there once, twice in a week, and then you're like, okay, put me on the board. Yeah, but I guess you also get like, you get your name up there, and then you also get your own plate, which hmm. is quite an honor. Oh, like when you order food, it comes out on that plate, or there's a plate that's decorative? I don't decorative know. I, don't know. I, I, I intend to explore more. I would love to be on, on the, Lunch in club. the club. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but then I immediately started calculating like what that would cost me, <laughs> like a <laughs> weekly, depending on the discounts, monthly, might work out in your favor. annual basis. Yeah. Actually, Lettuce does have a good rewards program. This episode brought to, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I noticed like during the meal at a certain point, we, we were done eating my cocktail. I had a couple of Negronis. Second drink was gone. And I was sitting there and then I just, I got this feeling that it's like, I need to leave. Hmm. And it's not like it wasn't like a panic. It was just like I've my mind has shifted from enjoying the meal to needing to leave. Yeah. Not needing to leave. It wasn't. I wasn't frantic, but I just felt ready to leave. And then after from that point on, all I could focus on was like I need the check and to get out of here. Yeah. Do I, you ever get that? I think it to me it sounds like a kind of anxiety trigger. I haven't. I don't remember having. I haven't had that feeling since I was much younger. But there were times where I would be sitting in a restaurant. I would just feel like just so like just everything would kind of seem like a little strange. Like I would have to get out. Yeah. There was like a weird pressure to just not be there. Like I couldn't sit anymore. Yeah. It wasn't like a happy feet thing. It was just like. Yeah, there's you're, some kind of just, mental something. Issue. Something clicks in your brain and you're yeah. moved on to the next thing. It was not like I want to be clear that it's not like a panicked, like trapped or claustrophobic feeling it's just like i'm over this and it's not bad because i love yeah, shots i think I if it was just like a casual i'm f- over this there wouldn't be the you wouldn't have felt such a strong no but that's what i'm saying is i wasn't it's not that strong it's very subtle you said but, you all you could focus on what's getting out of there well it seems like it's, it's pretty strong the desire to leave is um i can't shove that back down and then go back to enjoying you weren't present ha- anymore is what I, you're exactly i was not present i was focused on getting the check and going home hmm. yeah that's interesting and I, and I wonder what that trigger was was it the time was it like late enough that i was like okay i just want to be at yeah home or you now? had enough stuff to do or you stressed or like by something conversation else. had reached a lull and i was like <laughs> okay we nice insult to shannon and listen no to it's that. not but you know so, sometimes like a convert you have a good conversation when it's over it's like well we're done eating. We're not going to get into something else. We're not going to bring up a new topic and sit here while there are people waiting for this table. Maybe yeah, that's I mean, what it is. I don't want to strand something. you, but I don't really have those thoughts in those situations. It, it, maybe it's unique to me. <laughs> I don't know. A, a, a similar thing that maybe you can relate to is like if yeah. we're at, um, if we go out to eat and say there's six people 
and five of them are there mm-hmm. and we're waiting on one person to show up, I am staring at the door. Like you can't the, get started until I that person's there. I can't not, I can't focus on the five people that are there. Huh. I'm so wow. obsessed with someone can break this down, getting that last person to join There's us. There's definitely a thing here. There is. And I can't, I, I don't have the expertise I think or the understanding. Being aware of it is half the battle. Now that I <laughs> yeah, know that like to think these that. feelings exist <laughs> and, and these are like weird quirks that I have, now I can probably delve deep. I need it's 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 for a therapist. I need to, I need to explain. I love learning about. It. I think it's pretty interesting. You don't have any things like that? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, I would get like anxiety at the table a long time ago. But yeah. not like once I sit for a meal now. Is that like at a family meal? Like you're eating at home? Yeah, I couldn't. T- similar to yours, I don't know what brought it on. Yeah. Uh, the last time I remember it happening was with uh, my grandparents and my brother at a restaurant in Westwood. How old were you? Uh, maybe, you know, 13, 14, 15, something like that. And it just was, yeah, I just felt really uncomfortable. Here's a good question. Kind of like a gloom. Oh, like a gloom feeling. Okay. Yeah. See, mine's not really a gloom. Yeah. It's just like, I've, I'm ready to move on. I'm over it. I think there's no better way than, than to say I'm over it. Now, is there a way to relay that message to the group you're with in a way way that's not insulting? (laughs) No (laughs) way. I mean, with Ellie, sometimes I'll just be like, I'm over it. No, but for me, it's more like if you're at a cocktail party or function and you're like, all right, like I've made my rounds, like feeling good, like let's get out. And then if Ellie's like lingering and I'm just like, we got to get out. Yes. Like that's the, that's when I get that, like made the decision to go. We've been here long enough. We got to like relieve the babysitter or whatever. You are. I, that is one it's thing. Like, just get me out. out. Is when we're like, if we'll go on a, if we go on a double date, it's generally Ellie lose tra- loses track of time and you yeah. are so, yeah, that this is your version of being over yeah. it. You are hyper-focused on relieving the babysitter. Yeah. There's like, like a reason though, usually. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that's not justified. I, I get that. That's a courtesy thing. Yeah. Being late for anything is a courtesy thing. Yeah, that's, you and it I both feel nuts. the same way about yeah, it. Yeah, and I realize, like, I think I got that from my dad because, like, if I was late for stuff, he'd give me a hard time. And and so, like, now... I don't remember getting a hard time about it, but it has always been, like, an important thing to be punctual. Agreed. I wonder... Yeah, that's got to be... There's I think it was, like, there. probably, yeah, my mom being late to pick me up from things... Yeah. So the way I've changed that is, well, I realize that it's not always about me, even though like, you know, if your partner's making you late, yeah. that reflects poorly. You, you realize that that reflects poorly on you. Oh, for sure. That's maddening. Yeah. But also I realize that things happen. And when people are late coming to my house, I don't really care unless I'm like waiting on a meal. If it, like something's hot in the oven or something oh, like brutal, then I'm very <laughs> or like anxious. showing up like 30 minutes late and be like, why is this food cold? And you're like, I'm going to fucking get it. <laughs> yeah. You're like, it wouldn't have been yeah. cold if you showed up on time. But my, my, the reason I'm okay with, I'm more okay with, being late is a Shannon's usually taking her time, like getting dressed, makeup, whatever, trying to look nice. I appreciate that. I like, I like the Shannon takes care of herself. I like that she's conscious of that. And, uh, also if you do say something, then you're getting in, in some sort of weird argument. And then you like are going to that event, not in the best state of mind. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I use that time waiting to leave to practice piano <laughs> use it constructively to watch curb your enthusiasm <laughs> to read my kindle so i i, I see i've t- transformed yeah, that i've transformed me it. yeah tapping my foot by the door oh, i've transformed yeah. that into tim time i just go to the car for danny time yeah no yeah i'm just like all right i'll 
come to the car when you're ready. I like what's I can't. There's no argument, you know, to be had. That's right. Just gotta go. Um, Danny time. Yeah, that's right. Well, speaking of Pacific Standard Time, <laughs> speaking of someone's time, it's about to be Erling's time. That's right. This week we had Erling Wu Bauer in the studio. That's right. Highly anticipated interview. We've wanted to have Erling on for a long time. Personal friend, big fan of his cooking. Um, he and his partner, Josh Tilden, are opening Maxwell's Trading. As of now, it's not open, nor has there been a date assigned to their opening. But it's coming. But when it's it comes soon, by the time this airs, it's, there's a good chance that everybody will know. Um, but they are both uh, alums of one-off hospitality. Um, Erling worked at uh, Avec, Publican, opened Nico, and uh, then the two spun off and started um, Pacific Standard Time. This is their second concept. Uh, it's in the Kin- in, uh, sorry Kinsey Industrial Corridor, same neighborhood as Stocks HQ. So we have a new uh, lunch option, I hope. Very lucky for you guys. Yeah. Uh, so without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Erling Wu Bauer. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Host Ready to Drink Premium Bottled Cocktails. Choose from Old Fashioned, Martini, and coming soon, a Manhattan. For more information, go to Host, that's H-O-S-T-E, cocktails.com. Connect with quality. Let's get into it. Let's hear the the Erling story. Wow. That's how you're going to, that's the first question. That's right. Yeah, whole story. So it says here your last name's Wu Bauer. Any relationship that to, is correct. <laughs> any relationship to Ronnie Woo Woo? None, none at all. <laughs> not even a little. Yeah, not at all. Your all movie right. innuendos, I have to say, like I, I I watched so few movies as a child. I was a no TV child. I was a thirty minutes a day TV kid. Oh, we could watch Infinite. It shows. Uh, yeah. It did you show. do you feel that that uh, shaped you in some way? Or the lack, I mean, maybe didn't, right? Are you talking like no TV at all? Like, like no, no TV in the house? There was, no, there was a TV in the house. But, but that's, no, pos- that's a positive no thing. TV. It wasn't plugged Do in. Do you like wish that you had watched TV? Yes. Wow. I feel like socially, I wish I had watched less TV. Yeah, socially you'd have nothing to relate. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like 10% of the conversation that Tim shoots in my way, I'm just like, oh, yeah, sure. I just, <laughs> I just bark Caddyshack quotes. Yeah, Tim doesn't have original thoughts. It's mostly just quotes of shows. I just feel like I'm socially... I didn't watch... I mean, the one that gets... I didn't watch Back to the Future until two months ago. Yeah. I didn't see that until recently either. There are certain movies... I have a theory that if you don't see... There are certain movies where if you don't see them as a kid, you won't like them as an adult. Beetlejuice is one of them. I didn't watch it as a kid, and I watched it as an adult, and I'm like, oh, it's not Back to me. the Future was good. It is good. And Michael J. Fox is positively charming, right? So Yeah. I just watched his episode on Curb, which I know you haven't seen, but Danny will know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, so it's good. Classic. Um, <laughs> yep. Just wasting people's time. No, no. You can cut Dude. everything out. We, we get final cut on this. That's All right, the good shit. Yeah, yeah. That's the good stuff. So, Erling, you, you're a smart guy. I'm not, that's not a question. You went to Notre Dame <laughs> and you studied philosophy. Is if you'd watch TV, maybe you wouldn't have ended up at Notre Dame. Certainly, would have chosen philosophy. <laughs> yeah, were you were you like academic boy growing up? Yeah, so um, I was. Uh, my my dad's a professor um, of medieval musicology. Let that one sink in for a second. That's Whoa. my minor. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, we were just we were raised in an academic type of fashion, um, and. Uh, 
that was kind of my that was that was what I was expected to do is perform well academically and you know went to college had to do it all three boys went to the same school my dad also taught there and um loved it my philosophy degree however was um useless professionally mm-hmm. uh but I feel that I use I do feel like I use logic in management of a kitchen on a regular basis and everybody's like sure well how do you do that I do really feel that you should explain logically to those who you serve, right? Like a manager really is there to serve his or her employees. And I really think that like breaking stuff down about why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking and telling cooks and employees that has been really valuable to me in my career because I need them to buy into my system, right? And it's always been valuable to... Um, express my thoughts and what am I going to do, what's right, what's wrong, let them have an opinion, right? Let them argue with me. That's something that I think a lot of people in my kitchens have always been really surprised about. Like, what do you think of this dish? And you can tell they don't like it, right? And I'm like, what do you really think? Like, tell me what you really think and let's make this a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those people that really want to engage on an intellectual level when they do come along in the industry have been have really been incredible relationships. The chef at Maxwell's trading uh, is one of them who really shows a desire to engage at a higher level of, um, of understanding on food and really ask questions and discover together. That's what philosophy is all about. Really. It's about going on a journey together, realizing that you're wrong most of the time and finding the answers or things that are better off than what you thought before. And he's really happy to engage on that level. And the relationship has been great so far. How did you meet him? He was a, his name's Chris Jung. He was a cook for me at Pacific Standard Time. You know, one of those guys who walks into the kitchen and you quickly realize that he has the desire, the intellect, and the drive to be somebody who you want to be closely associated with. And um, we're lucky to have these people in our industry. Um, and I immediately just, you know, saw him as a future collaborator and, yeah. Do you think that's the type of young chef you were? I do. I see a lot of him and me. Um, I saw. I see a lot of me and him. I, 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 I certainly participated in the essence of being a line cook, like the Bourdain essence. We should talk about a lot about Bourdain today. Yeah. Um, but like the Bourdain essence of being a line cook, I certainly participated in it. It was certainly a draw. But I also like. I think annoyingly to a lot of my colleagues at that age didn't need to participate in it, right? I could also remove myself from it and think um, more holistically about what I was doing, where my career was going, um, more holistically about kind of the philosophy about of, of food. I read a ton. Um, I would really want other people to read stuff, right? Like the cookbooks that I loved were these like heavy textual books where you would kind of read the text and realize that <laughs> it's funny you never really hear it on the recording. You don't. We hear it in We're here. laughing because the garbage truck is egregiously yeah. loud. Yeah, out the slamming, window, slamming which is wild because it's yeah. always at the beginning of these interviews. Yeah. I time it just right. They must do a pickup every day. Yeah, I'm sure. So, I mean, the cookbooks that I was reading at the time were like Alice Waters, um, uh, Paul Bertoli, um, and there were these text cookbooks that didn't have any pictures, right? And My you just nightmare. you would you would read <laughs> you would People read and then 
you would go through a recipe, but there was no recipe. And I just really loved just like decoding these things and just like finding the ingredients they were talking about. And I would talk about them, and most people just really have the time for it. Chris loves the same thing, right? Yeah. So anyway, so what? Spirits. At, at what age were you messing around with cookies? Like, when did you start cooking? I started cooking when I was six. My mother was a food writer, mm-hmm. um, and she, when I was young, was writing a cookbook called the Grand Walk Cookbook. And from that moment on, right, I was always cooking and eating food. Food was just a part of you know, food was just a part of who we were. Is we were this talking about walk. W O K. Yes. Tim learned uh, a harsh lesson on a walk recently. I got owned by a commercial walk at uh, Moon Palace earlier, <laughs> yeah, earlier this week. Uh, tell me more about that. <laughs> well, I told uh, I told so Lily Wang that uh, from Nine Bar that I make a really good fried rice, and then they put me to the test in their kitchen. And, and Tim has never I never in the used commercial kitchen with like a two foot flame underneath yeah, the open walk. Flame. Did she like did she like <clears throat> wink wink it before like <laughs> yeah. like, like she was like yeah, go try no, this. No, she's wink, like wink. it was pull. I mean it was set up. We were recording a video and the premise was that Lily's dad was gonna show us how to properly make fried rice. I got I got pranked on two points. A they gave me dark soy sauce, which I wasn't expecting. <laughs> Do not blame it on the <laughs> and dark also sauce. the I, I like to get my rice a little charred. That's what I like to do to my fried rice. And so when you, you let it hard, hard, char- charred, hard, charred, burnt, burnt, you <laughs> yeah, burnt, your rice burnt. burnt. And Danny's like, man, there's a lot of smoke flavor. I'm like, no, Danny, that's burnt. rice. <laughs> <laughs> I was, was trying to be complimentary. Yeah. Did it, was it one of those walks that actually has a handle or was it a, two no, walk it was that a only had stub hand. Yeah. yeah. It had but like it didn't a, get hot, which was, I didn't, I expected that it would be hot and it wasn't. It had what I could only describe as like a shower handle. It was like a like, sawed off. Uh, yeah. Saw yeah, so I was dialing it up, and anyway, I wanted the shot. best is that it took Tim ten minutes to make this subpar fried rice, and it took Lily's dad Jones like one minute, and <laughs> less than that. Yeah, it was so incredible to watch. I don't get to make fried rice in my house because my wife likes overly cooked rice, right? So we always yeah. have this soggy rice in our house. And so <laughs> that she likes that. She likes. That. I hate that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> How is she achieving overly just? adding more water adding than you too should. much water to the rice Ugh. we're a rice cooker household like we're pretty yeah. lost without our rice cooker actually i, I can't cook like rice you. in the pot I, really yeah very bad i'll give you my recipe <laughs> after <laughs> sure, that story like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I, I actually have rice drying out in my fridge right now be, to make a redemption thing and i'm thinking of taking a carton no, of it over too late. to uh no, no, no. the nine bar and dropping it off i think you just gotta let it be yeah <laughs> all right fine um so what's, right, my, so so what's yeah. my story so yeah I was, I was i was cooking since i was super young so your parents encouraged your path like even though you were kind of raised with like an academic bent oh yeah you still were supported doing you know cooking and stuff so i i think my story about how i actually got into restaurant cooking is not at all different from an entire generation of cooks right i was really li- i had one huge lucky um, benefit which was that my mother and rick bayless are really good friends but huh i never worked in his kitchens never worked for him but he was around growing he, up. he was around growing up and just kind of nurtured Whoa. nurtured i never um, knew that yeah it's been super lucky we've remained friends to this day and um that was really lucky however i was never convinced that i was going to work into a, in a restaurant until i read kitchen confidential right hmm. so i think a lot of entrance, a lot of the entrance of a generation of cooks into the cooking world was because Anthony Bourdain, and Bourdain remains my patron saint to this day. I mean, 
I record every episode that I ever see, and I've watched every episode of all of his shows, except for except for the layover, probably two or three times. But all the parts unknowns and all the stuff. Exactly. So he 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 is was my patron saint, um, and read the book uh, on the way into college, and then decided after reading the book that this is what I want to do. Right? Like I want I want to go down this path. Like I, I've always. Like working in an office terrifies me, right? And I knew that I loved food. I knew that I loved cooking. And I read the book and I just dove straight in. And then while I wasn't in school, so during the summers, I had a 91 Pontiac Bonneville. Mm. And I would drive that baby across <laughs> the country to California where my mom was living in Half Moon Bay and staged at a series of restaurants, worked at a series of restaurants over the summer in Half Moon Bay and then a series of Michael Tusk's restaurants. So Quince still exists, was in a different place at the time. Um, which is where, which is where I really started to get this Italian um, type of education that I still kind of spit out today. Um, that 91 Pontiac Bonneville actually uh, was towed away from one of my houses in Chicago because uh, there was six inches of water sitting in the base of it, right? So it started, it started to leak somehow. I just stopped driving it and it was there piling up tickets and then when they towed it away i remember the guy opened the door and like the basin of the footwell was full of water oh my god <laughs> <Fish> fell out <laughs> so were you cooking in college too like on campus yeah no i wasn't cooking on campus i mean like for friends and stuff like, yeah were you absolutely. like hosting dinner parties and yeah stuff? we had we had uh senior year we had a pretty uh legitimate it wasn't a supper club but we just cooked together every weekend we would read the books that we were reading richard only became had become the patron saint at that point simple french food is the book that he read which now to this day is the book that i just think is the bible of cooking and um we just cooked from like the alice waters paul bertoli richard only tradition of cooking all the time in south bend indiana it was great um we would you know build our own fire pit in the back roast pigs on it. it it was it was it was spectacular also super formative was that in college i uh exchanged i went on an exchange program to rome and i stayed there for six months some of the best advice my dad ever gave me i, I was really lucky um you know, my godmother uh, had passed away uh, just before uh, this exchange program to Rome started. And my dad said, and she had left me a little bit of an inheritance. And my dad said, I should tell you to put this away and let it grow. And he said, but I really think that you should take a fair amount of this and just have an absolute blast while you're in Italy. And That's awesome. Yeah. And I was in Italy... With some money to spend on good food, right? Like, not just, like, scratch and scrounge. And so just live the Italian train culture. Um, and uh, also there was a there was an airline called Air Berlin. I think it existed for about two years. I, was, I must have been the last airline in the world you could <laughs> smoke on, right? It was 2000. <laughs> it, was, it was 2000 and – it was 2000 and shit. 2005. And you could still smoke on a plane. Yeah, that's like Berlin. right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Richard's Bar Air, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, so Air Berlin could get you anywhere in Europe for super cheap. And um, so between the trains and Air Berlin, just really got to experience Europe and experience culture, um, and eat great food in college. And wrote. Uh, the kind of concept for Nico Osteria was born in Rome, um, drinking coffee and walking around, uh, and then came back and 
got a job at a vec. That was it. Like I called, I called Blackbird for a job. Blackbird to this day might be the best restaurant I've ever experienced at that time. Right. In the early 2000s. As a diner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like, I, I don't think a restaurant could be more Midwestern and more fine at the same time. Like that restaurant was everything that a mid uh, everything that I would want to express about being a Midwestern chef was mm. at Blackbird at that time. I called Blackbird. I wanted to work at Blackbird, and Paul picked up the phone. <laughs> right? I'm like, can I, you know, I'm looking for a job. Can I talk to Paul? I was like, yeah, this is Paul. I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then a few things happened. Got a job at a VEC, and um, kind of the rest is history. Right? How mm-hmm. long were you at a VEC for? Um, I was at a VEC for three years, three years under corn. And you start as a line cook? Yeah, and then start as a line up. cook, just getting my ass kicked. <laughs> a VEC's line is just like kind of beauty in motion. It's also teeniness in motion, right? Like you yeah. you pull out the cooler drawer and it runs you into the oven behind you, right? Like you, <laughs> small, small kitchens make great cooks, right? Yeah. Like a lot of these huge kitchens that are built now, like where you have all these luxuries, they make spoiled cooks. Yeah. Um, but like when you have nothing and you have no space, you have to figure it, out. Have to figure it out, right? Like in order to open the drawer, you had to swing into the dining room. <laughs> oh, uh, it was It was beautiful. And the fire was so hot that like the first time you put dates in the oven, you'd burn all the dates. Yeah, it's, it was it was it was just were there techniques that you were seeing at a vac that were different from the ones you'd experience on the west coast or even in italy when you were kind of traveling around um like anything that blew your mind other than how small the space was yeah the addiction to fire and open kitchens I don't, okay. that's not a technique per se but a characteristic a characteristic that i carried from then on was that open kitchens are really important and live fire is really important because it just makes stuff taste better and it gives food. Unless I, you're making fried rice like Tim. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was maybe the Indian, <laughs> not the arrow, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just think that one of the things that I learned at Avec was it was in the era of perfect food, right? Keller was huge then. Yeah. Um, Under Pressure was about to come out, which was Keller's sous vide cookbook, which sent food on a certain road that it didn't need to go down we've talked about sous vide you and i you don't like it i don't yeah and now i don't like it because of you (laughs) why don't you like it i don't like it because i don't think it's the essence of cooking right is it cheating no i i I think look i think sous vide is one technique right and i think as one technique it can be respected just like, you know, I don't know, like, you know, just like poaching. It's poaching, right? Mm-hmm. That's all it is. But it's not a crutch to make all your meat perfect. In fact, like, think about what you're doing. When you're cooking meat sous vide, you're sealing inside of a Ziploc bag and you're cooking it with nothing else. And all this stuff that usually comes off of meat and comes out of meat and goes onto the fire, goes into the pan, all these juices that want to escape – all that musty stuff that comes to the top of a all stock. All the flavor. Is, no, it's just no, like it's, the bad no, the, stuff, the bad that's bad stuff that out. wants to come yeah. off, oh. right? The fat that wants to render off. But that stuff burns off. off, and that's what creates flavor, right? No, 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 no. The flavor is, the, I mean, there's... That's like Maillard, right? Maillard is the reaction between Yeah, it's a caramelization. Heat, right, and sugar, right? You get, you get when you sous vide, you get a Maillard by... You, you don't get a Maillard sous vide. That's what I'm saying. Vide, I'm right? saying you're... you're 
compromising those flavors by locking that stuff in. But if that comes out, then it's it's um, well no yeah he's saying that the stuff coming out is the bad stuff that i'm you saying want there's stuff that out. wants to come out yeah i know and those reactions are what creates flavor once it escapes but you're no, not giving it that not, chance that's, that's not okay. what i'm saying i'm saying that like when you make stock and there's all that weird foamy stuff that comes to the top that you want to skim off and all that scummy stuff that like comes out of something naturally as you cook it you're forcing it back into it Right, yes, in like sous vide, yeah. in sous vide and not letting it get away. I think it's kind of gross, actually. Right, like yes. it's safe. But it's I like think peeing it's gross. in the bathtub. <laughs> That's what you're saying. I mean, sous vide I'm, is peeing I'm, in the bathtub. You heard it from <laughs> straight from Erling's mouth. I did not, so that did not come from my mouth. However, <laughs> yeah. Erling says analyzing the analogy. Yeah, I think it's pretty fucking accurate. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're, you're so that's one of the things I hate about sous vide is that. Like meat wants to cook over flame or in a cast iron pan, and right, like it wants its its juices want to get out of it, and it wants to interact with heat and sear, and and also it wants to like perfection is not what we're going for in cooking, right? Like different steaks need to be cooked differently. Like the burnt end of a New York strip steak over a fire is a beautiful part of that New York strip steak, right? Like, and this, and this desire for perfection in sous vide is the wrong way for food to go, right? Like the other thing about sous vide that I don't love is that I I think it, I I think it gave a set of crutches to an entire generation of cooks, right? And a lot of home cooks with like Anova and chef steps, all that stuff. Come on, like, isn't the joy of cooking like, lighting a charcoal grill and grilling a steak like well like why yeah i don't I, I hear you. what it does do really well is vegetables i think vegetable sous vide are incredible right you can take carrots you can throw some olive oil and some flavors and some thyme and some garlic in a bag you can cook it sous vide and they're wonderful i can all do the same thing without a bag but <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, complete your bar. So no, I don't love sous vide cooking. How do we get there? <clears throat> no, I, I who think cares? Let's get back on track. All right, so you're <laughs> so you're a line cook at Avac for three years. Yeah. Then you moved to Publican. Was yeah. that you asking? Was Publican opening then? Yeah. And so I, you were just part of the opening team. So I think chef. I was pretty loud about wanting to be. Yeah. You know, I, I I would. I loved working. I would do it, eighty hours a eighty hours a week at that point, and like, it was fine. It wasn't. It wasn't. Like, that's just how, how I wanted to work, right? And mm-hmm. there were a lot of people around me that wanted to work the same way. I, I so think, you're, what, 24, 25 at that time? Uh, yeah, 24, 25 at that time. I think I was 24 when the Publican opened. So the opening sous chef at the Publican, I told Paul and Karin, like, look, I want to tell me what I need to do, right, to move up. Um, and a, there, were, I think my performance was such that they thought I was ready to be the, the sous chef at the Publican uh, under Brian Houston. And, um, man, like, that's one of the hardest transitions that you ever have to make, right? The transition from non-management to management is just such a step, right? And I wasn't, I wasn't ready 
I learned it quickly at, you know, at the sake of, I'm sure, a few employees who just thought I was a cocky asshole, which mm-hmm. I was at the time, and also a little bit underprepared for the job. But I think I learned it, and what I didn't have in management skill, I made up for with, like, uh, I'll work 24 hours, right? I don't don't really care about sleep or anything like that. There's a job to be done. I'll get it done. Um, and... Brian was amazing and Paul was amazing and really just let me fail and let me experience, like just gave me the keys and let me fail with ingredients and to a large degree, let me learn and fail with management. And I learned a lot there through both of their mentorship. Um, You know, the publican was really, uh, was really planned to be kind of a oyster and pork concept, right? The seafood nature of the publican wasn't really planned at the onset. And um, through Brian, myself, and Paul, we really kind of decided that like we should have this massive seafood section of the menu at the publican as well. And I've always been a fisherman at heart, right? Like, I, I almost might have entered cooking through being a fisherman. I, like, my mother would take me fishing all the time. We would catch and cut fish, and I just remember being that that, that being super formative. My my mother obviously lived in San Francisco, um, referring back to a different part of the interview. And uh, I would go fishing on party boats there all the time, and just I loved that feeling and that culture, and just just something about you know being in a tiny boat on a huge ocean that I find very attractive. In the bay. In San Francisco? Um, outside of the Bay. Okay. Salmon, rockfish, California halibut, um, albacore tuna during the summer. And um, we had a company in San Francisco called Monterey Seafood. And we would get shipped via Southwest Airline cargo um, three boxes of that two or three times a week. And I would drive that 91 Pontiac Vonneville to Midway Airlines and pick up these boxes of seafood filled with live Dungeness crabs and lingcod and salmon and just the bounty, sand dabs, the bounty of California. And that was just like no better school can be given to you than to like open up those boxes. And fish is such a challenge because it provides you with a time constraint and, right, and this bounty, right? Like you have to figure out how to monetize this bounty and take care of this bounty quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Like whereas with land protein you have... Quite honestly, unlimited time if you treat it the correct way. It's not the case with fish. So I just like learned through these boxes of Monterey seafood. And at the same time, learned I, I had a, a limited amount of charcuterie experience, but just needed to produce a charcuterie program, right? Yeah. And, and really through trial and error, developed a charcuterie repertoire at the publican as well. What do you think makes a good charcuterie program versus a bad one? What makes a good charcuterie program versus a bad one? I think that a great charcuterie program focuses on the less sexy stuff. Hmm. Like everybody wants to make salami. Everybody wants to make terrines. Everybody wants to make like pate and crude. I mean the baseline of charcuterie is fresh sausage. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like learn how to make a great brat, learn how to make great Buddha and Blanc, learn how to make a great Italian sausage, 
learn how to make great andouille. Like from there, all the lessons. But everybody's like, let's make salami. It's like you're not going to learn how to make salami if you don't know how to make sausage. Hmm. Um, you know, there's other keys to charcuterie program. Like cold is a key, right? Like you have to keep your meat cold. Yeah. Um, you have to use just gobs of salt everywhere, right? All the time. <laughs> um, is there a particular type of salt? That you use in charcuterie production that you... I mean, I'm, a, I'm just... It's, it, you could use anything, but I'm a Morton's kosher guy. It just feels right between the fingers. You know what I mean? Diamond crystals bullshit. I said it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> I think because... Is Wilson that because you're, you're probably here. acclimated to Morton? Like, you know how to... Yeah, I just like... I, I'm lost with Diamond Crystal. My fingertips are accustomed to Diamond Crystal. That's all I know. But also, uh, Wilson Bauer brought up an interesting thing about... Um, no relation... Um, Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't he, even think about he that. He was saying that, um, I think, maybe this is specifically about iodized salt, is that you don't taste its seasoning right away because it has a protective outer layer that keeps it, you know, when it rains, it pours, it doesn't, you know, it keeps it from clumping. But uh, diamond crystal is finer, and you can feel, or you can taste that in the food quicker than Morton. So it's easier to over-season, I guess. With diamond crystal? No, no. With, with Morton's, with you Morton, don't know right because away, you can't maybe, taste yeah. it right away. It takes a second to to dissolve into the food. I don't know this guy, so sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's completely a feel thing for me, and yeah. you just you just adjust through years and years of seasoning. One of the things that Bayless says is that's that I absolutely love is like you should know like what the measurement of your three finger pinch. I just is. saw that on Instagram. I, I mean, he's that is smart. He's like his. I can't believe that he gives away his youtube knowledge like his youtube knowledge is so deep like if you need mexican yeah. advice just go watch bayless and your mm -hmm. dinner like you can cook dinner you can learn how to make dinner in 10 minutes it's crazy but he's just like your three finger pinches you need to know if it's a quarter teaspoon or a half teaspoon and like i've gotten to the point where like morton's is just it's a it's a software and i don't know i don't yeah. know I, just, I know exactly what yeah, it is so you're used to it there's no Morton's kosher salt in the world outside of Costco right now. I don't know if you guys know this. And huh. so I bought a I bought a box of Diamond Crystal Salt at Whole Foods for ten fucking ninety nine the other day. Here's a pro tip: they have it at Dirks for half the price. Diamond Crystal? Mm-hmm. I'm going to Costco for kosher okay. for Morton's kosher, but, but I appreciate it. So, um, so yeah, salt aside. So charcuterie at the Public Inn, and I met at the Public Inn. There's these formative staffs that just kind of like you go back to is like they're the they're 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 the they're the teams that make the playoffs, right? Like the that opening staff at the public in was comprised of so many of the great chefs in the city today, right? Dan Snowden, uh Kim Leali, uh Cosmo. Um we're all there, right? And it, the publican, we actually wrote our menu every day. A lot of restaurants say mm. they do it, but they don't. The publican, you would get in. It's great when it's great, but when it's bad, it's hard. <laughs> and when it's bad, that was nice. When it's bad, it's terrible. When you have the bounty of the summer and you're just throwing shit together and anything tastes good on a plate, like if you can't cook well in the summer in the Midwest, leave the industry. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like in February when you're scratching for it, and right, and it's a little bit slow. It's hard, right? Yeah. But you sit down with a staff every morning and you write the menu 
and like you just you you do a lot of reshuffling of things like something worked well one day you might switch a vinaigrette and so these cooks didn't know what they were walking into every day and just became fucking snipers so how does that work not from a sourcing aspect is it you guys have access to these ingredients and then every morning you're like all right what are we gonna throw on the menu yeah literally and then what if me and brian would sit down every morning and it was a lot of shifting puzzle pieces. It's not like we're starting from scratch every day. It's right. like we didn't change like something on a set. We didn't like that vinaigrette on yeah. the halibut. Let's do you know hazelnut agridolce on the halibut, and we made a grilled red onion vinaigrette that was on the halibut yesterday. Let's try that with the you know, uh, let's try that with a crudo with a crudo or whatever it might be. Right? Ooh, Danny. So <laughs> pretty good. Now, if you are missing, say you've got you want to oh well, we want to add. I mean. You're going to have dill. But if you have, like, something, are you going to the grocery store last second? No. So the, the the cooler at the public, and this was really cool, the cooler functioned as the grocery store for the cooks, right? I would do my best. I, if you talked to a lot of the cooks, they would say I didn't do a good enough job. But, like, I would do my best to make the cooler, like, this beautiful like a grocery sco- store for them to go That's into. Cool. And and the cooks had a lot of license. Like, we couldn't tell them every ingredient, like, if they wanted to put dill. Like, we'll say, we would say make ranch. Mm. Yeah, they could do whatever they wanted. Right at that point, they could, they could make a buttermilk ranch. They could make an aioli based ranch. They could make a yogurt based ranch. Right, like they had all these different ways they could go. They could cool. find lemon vinaigrette from a day ago and mix it together with buttermilk and aioli and make lemon ranch. Right, and then they could put and then we would put up practically the whole menu before service and taste it all. It was insane. <laughs> yeah. If you're doing that every day, that's wild. Yeah, and 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 like yeah, when it's good, it's good. It was always good to the customer, but like when you But it's harder for you sometimes. When your dumbass was hung over from the morning before and you're like, damn, I wish we just had the same menu as yesterday and I could <laughs> and I could coast through today. This wasn't an option, you know? Yeah. So that was a publican. Learned a ton about managing, about cooking, about charcuterie, about seafood. Then we opened um Publican Quality Meats. Uh that was Cosmo, me and Chris Kujemko. Uh and uh Again, learned through trial and error about running multi-units. I'm sure those people that are around would say some good things and definitely some bad things about how I did it. Um, but man, that was that we just took all the, the charcuterie knowledge that we had compiled at the public in and just like multiplied it. Yeah. What do you think was a? I mean, you know, a little self-reflection. I guess what was like a mistake that you feel like you made? Just in your comment, that you said some people would say I did good things and some people would say I did some bad things there like self critique yeah I did, I did a lot of I, did a lot, I mean I did a lot of things wrong I or would rather say like what are, maybe what's a lesson that you're going to take with you to Maxwell's from that from there specifically I I was still a young manager I still didn't realize that it's always important right because we make our living dish by dish and a lot of people who criticize from the outside like the overcritical chef doesn't realize that like every one of those dishes that you cook could be going to a customer is going to a customer and that's their night you can make or break their night with that dish but like i when you're a really young manager you think now is more important than it is right like certainly the dish has to be right but there's many ways to skin a cat and how you get to that dish like you can allow a lot of leeway and a lot of you can allow your cooks to to be themselves right technique wise yeah i mean technique is technique 
I think it's more of the way people get there, right? Like, if there's a technique that needs to, like, make up a dish, that needs to make up a dish, that's fine. But, you know, the way somebody sets up their station, right? Like, it can't be a mess, but does it have to be my way, right? Yeah, like, I've learned that lesson as well. Right? Like, I, I yeah, don't... Yeah, like, I, you know, the tins always went on one side, the tools went on the other, and then all of a sudden people were doing it reverse because it was more comfortable for them. And, yeah, there's a moment where you're like, well, that's just, like, not how we do it because the drinks go out this way. And if you have your tools on the other side, then it's just counterintuitive. But hey, at some point, you just, if you're more comfortable doing it in this setup, then I'm just going to let it be. I don't need to nitpick that as long as the drinks are coming out properly. I agree. But it, I, it cooking, takes time. Cooking's very personal. Even for a home chef, I cook at home every night. And when I'm not in my kitchen, <clears throat> if I'm at my dad's house or if I'm at an Airbnb and I don't have like my utensils, I don't have my diamond crystal, I, <laughs> it's, it's hard. You get used to doing things a certain way. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I I've learned. I, if you ask Chris Jung, the chef at Maxwell's Trading, if I'm good at this now, he would say no. <laughs> but I've learned <laughs> to let people make their own mistakes. Yeah, right. But yeah. You, you have to you have to you make your own mistakes on a time where it's not going to cost that customer their night. Right. But make your own mistake. Right. Like, yeah. Paul, let you make your own mistakes. One of his one of his <clears throat> best traits. Is that he? As, as if you're one of his chefs, he gives you space and he protects you, right? He protects you from all outside. He just gives you your space to be a chef, and that's one of the things that's a real gift that he gives. We had some we had some absolute blast times at the Publican. One of the stories, one of the best stories that I had from the Publican is we opened for brunch. I didn't usually do brunch. Kim Liala did brunch, and. Um, of course, I decided I should take out the whole brunch staff Saturday night before Sunday brunch. <laughs> Great idea. Sounds like an intelligent idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we uh, we all went out. We all went to bed. Uh, we all, it was the it was chip in. It was a chip in. Night. There you go. Yeah. It's a late night. It's a great bar. Might have been even like one of their grab bag nights where you just like they have a cooler of beer, seventy five cents a beer, but you don't know what you're gonna get. <laughs> Are those still around? That can't still be a thing. I mean, I haven't been to the chip in in a long time. Neither so, <laughs> so I don't know. Let's go. Yeah, yeah I mean, we probably that now we should. Yeah, short pool stick and all, right? Like, <laughs> you know, they have that pool stick that's like mm-hmm. that long. <laughs> Kid stick. Um, went out. Everybody showed up, miraculous, and we were just like laser focused, and we got everything done. We were ready for brunch. It was Dan Snowden. Cosmo Goss and Owen Royce Nagel. Um, and we got everything done before before we were ready to open for brunch. And I was like, all right, boys, we're going to go outside and play 20 minutes of football in the street on Green hmm. Street. And that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had a chance. Uh, you got cocky. Yeah, uh, yeah. wow. You really, because, yeah, you beat the odds to get to that yeah. point. We survived brunch, but like the the Who physical, got hurt? The, the physical oh, no the nobody physical. got hurt, but the physical exertion was just yeah. a, that kind of kickstarter. You're still drunk from the night. I think before. I think everybody went and to bed at sobering about four up. o'clock. Oh man, night. yeah, the sobering up was the yeah that was the hard it's part. You bummer. need some hair of the dog. That's right. Or, or pass or around a, a bottle leave. of whiskey. A, a yeah. leave can actually get you through that situation. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, so quick second garbage truck interlude. Yep, we got a we got an encore from the garbage truck. All right, so then you go back to Avac, but in a different position. Yeah, yeah. We um, we shored up 
took about a shoring up PQM, getting public and on the getting public and PQM communicating. Took about six months, right? And at about that point, I went over to Avec as a chef de cuisine. And How was that? You were was that management asking you or ownership asking you to move around, or yeah. were you ready to go? Okay, uh, it, it was it was ownership asking me to move <clears throat> around, and um, I, I mean uh, that was one of the most joyful nine months. I was I, I knew I was going to be the chef at um, I knew I was going to be the chef at Nico at the time. Okay, so this was in preparation of opening. Yeah, what in preparation of opening spot. Nico, right? Yeah, um, I, I love Avec. I yeah, can. Me too. It's just one of the great. Yeah, it's awesome. Favorite menu items, real quick. Ever or at a vec? At a vec. I'm a I'm a I'm a classics guy. Dates and focaccia. Those and, are my two. And, yeah. And, and brandad. Every I, time I go, dates, focaccia, brandad. I yeah. did the focaccia for cookbook club, and it did not turn out. It's. I mean, you got it's. It's hard. Yeah. Did you call Erling first? You were there. You probably had it. It was flavorless. I was. It was, sick un- from it was it. undersalted. I think I'm still sick from it. <laughs> yeah, yours was. And that was, was the longest case. Ago. Yeah, that was the longest. That was case like of food six years ago. Yeah. I didn't think they told you to cook with band aids in it. Yeah. The True ba- story. Band aid garnish. <laughs> no, he's full of shit. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's <laughs> Danny's attempt at this joke. Um, all right, so that's the big three for you. So wait, real quick. So you said you came up with the concept for Nico while you were. Um, studying abroad what was that back of the napkin concept crudos uh pastas and like an extensive crudo section and an extensive pasta menu and then you know uh most of which were stuffed right like most of which were these very um what's the right word not like not tr- not not trattori affair, right? Not like spaghettis and mm-hmm. and you know rigatonis, but just like stuffed, you know, tortellinis and triangolinis and um, a lot of these very delicate, more northern style pastas. But also meeting seafood as well, right? Like trying to treat these these pastas from a seafood perspective. Yeah, was it difficult for you to go from sourcing local ingredients to like? Nico can't be, you're not focusing on local stuff there. No, no, no. It wasn't difficult at all. It no? was just like a, it was graduating from the Monterey fish, like Christmas box of fish to the um, international uh, seafood products, Christmas box of fish on a weekly, on a weekly basis. <laughs> international marine products, IMP. Yeah. That was a while ago. And what was that like? Uh... Let's, let's stay on Avec though. All right. Let's talk, let's talk about Avec a little bit. Um, now, Avec was like a honeymoon, man. Like it was, it was... I love being. I mean, you could. I, I just for 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 one reason or another after Avec, and as at the Publicans, huge restaurant. As at Nico, is a huge restaurant. As at PST, another huge restaurant. And I think outside of it being this love that I had in my life, Avec, it was small, and you could have real relationships with all the cooks and the prep cooks, and yeah. then like. You participated in that, like at a place like Nico, as a chef, it's hard to really participate in the daily, right? Just, there's other stuff going on that you have to worry about. There's the banquets. Hats. There's yeah, yeah, the hats. yeah. Oh, the bicycle hats. Yeah, yeah. What you're talking about? Those are good. <laughs> yeah, you had uh, bicycle hats and soccer jerseys, right? No and soccer jerseys. You're conflating Avec and Nico. Yeah, exactly. Avec had the jerseys. Yeah, Avec. that's what I'm talking about. I thought you no. guys were talking about you know, Avec. He was talking about Nico. Exactly. Oh, okay. Erling's um, on board. Yeah. The the server assistants at Avec wore soccer jerseys. Those yeah. were killer jerseys. Yeah, why was it? I remember Terry told me once. 
I can't remember. Eddie, Eddie had an idea about it. Okay. And it was, it was his idea. So Avec was just, I, I loved, I loved, I mean, the food was what I wanted to eat, right? I just, I loved everything about it. That is what I tell Shannon every time we leave Avec. I'm like, this is what I want. This is how I want to cook and this is how I want to eat. It is, it is a magical spot. Avec is largely about, you know, the hot. I love, I mean, I love hot food. I think cooks frequently forget how important hot, hot, hot food is. You're talking temperature. Yeah. Yeah. It does something to the soul, right? Well, and, I think that, yeah. Especially in this city. I think on the other side of that, cold food that's supposed to be hot is very bad. Right. <laughs> yeah. And what's even worse is watching your food when it's up and your server's uh, nowhere yeah, to be seen and you're watching your food get cold. That's painful. It is. It is. Yeah. Especially like when there's all these chef seats, these chef's counters now, and like you're sitting right next yeah, to it. Yeah, you can like, totally see it. Yeah. I, I've been seeking out the, the, the <laughs> Yeah, Tim goes seat. up and grabs it sometimes. I actually did pull that at uh, well, <laughs> where, that's, where? At where? I, I won't tell <laughs> you where. <laughs> but I'll tell you it was Tim's a, like, hey, uh, let me just grab I'll tell you it was a dish. cocktail. And I was with some friends who had to go to a concert, and they were already running late. And our cocktails were sitting on the bar for like 10 minutes. And I just walked over there. I'm like, I'm so sorry, but like my friends have to leave. I just want to grab our drinks. And the bartender was like, you know, what? no, no, no. He's like, go sit down. I'll bring it to you. Sorry about that. So it was, yeah, you tried. It was okay. What but venue like, were you going to? I wasn't going to the show. We can get there. <laughs> I'm sure you guys already know where it was, but I'll tell you when we stop recording. Because oh, <laughs> I'm opening a new place on, on um, the career before and the first year in nico was just it was such a cool restaurant um and just such a killer staff like another one of those perennial playoff squads if i could right yeah. if i could just redo that squad we'd be in the second round of the playoffs yeah. every year right um it was just we were we had license to do so much cool stuff, so many cool dishes, specific dishes like, um, what was it? Swordfish, swordfish pancetta with watermelon habaneros and whipped feta. Uh, man, that was a good dish. There's a dish. There's a dish on that on that same menu actually. That's going to be on the opening menu at um, Maxwell's Trading. It's going to be gnocco frito with. Um, Caprino, which is goat cheese, uh, and then uh, black currant pepper jelly and prosciutto, just like donuts and donuts and ch- donuts with cheese frosting and ham, like <laughs> jelly donut with cheese frosting and ham. Like get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it's like salt roasted branzino, all the pastas we were making, the lobster spaghetti. It was, and it was, I don't know, man, like. That was a cool ass restaurant. What was the relationship like with the hotel? Was that like <laughs> <laughs> he's nodding? Yeah, we can. Uh, and all right, and then no, okay. we need to, I mean, dude, we can skip that. But it, like, did Obviously they try to interfere good. with anything? Or I mean, <laughs> what was bad about it? As a cautionary tale to people, possibly enticed with the with the idea of opening a restaurant in a hotel. Yeah, what are the drawbacks what could go of being in a hotel? And what are the benefits in a general sense? So after Nico, I went to Pacific Standard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, 
the, the cautionary tale is um did you have to do three meals a day oh yeah early and, had to do room service and room service I put tripe on the first room service menu because I was like, fuck you guys. Like, we're going to do, we're gonna do tripe. We're going to do, do tripe al romana for breakfast on the room service menu. And I was like, stop it. I was like, why? I was like, man, I was such an idiot. Um, All right. So PST, was, it, was the concept always, or was the idea in your mind always... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me answer the question. Okay, let me okay, answer the question. Because okay. now I've had time to think about it while I was just telling jokes. Um, we had great partners at the hotel. They're great businessmen. There are, they, they are great businessmen. They are visionaries. Um, they have gone on to open great hotels. The cautionary tale is that, like, as a restaurateur, you need to understand that the number of voices matters. For sure. Right. And when you, even if they're brilliant voices, the number of voices matter and consensus is hard. Right. I think that's the lesson. Right. And as soon as when you're making money, consensus is easy. When you're making a lot of money, consensus is really easy. But as soon as that a lot of money starts to become good money, starts to become money. (laughs) Right. Consensus leaves quickly. And brilliant people have trouble coming to consensus in these situations. I think that's the cautionary tale. It's the reason we never made uniforms for that hotel group because <laughs> no one could come to a consensus. We'd have meetings every couple months and it just never, no one could agree on anything. Right. And I, I mean, look, the, the, the hotel, the, the, the bright hats. light of a hotel has a lot of, <laughs> has, has a lot of positives for chefs who are, you know, the business, the business arrangements can be really good for a chef, but just mm-hmm. it's, you hear the story a lot. Right, and if you think of the success stories, you count them on a couple hands usually. Yeah, right? one yeah. hand. Yeah, one finger, an amputee's hand. <laughs> uh, all right, so PST comes along. Uh, originally, three partners. Was it? Um, it was originally a partnership between. It was originally a partnership between underscore Josh and my company, and. Um, Sorry, it was originally a partnership between uh, Josh and my company, Underscore, and um, One Off. Right. Um, so Josh was in. You guys are both in house at One Off. You guys said we're going to start Underscore Hospitality, and this is going to be our first concept. PSD. Yep. Pacific Standard Time, and it, this was was this the first time? It seems like this was the first menu that was very personal to you, and kind of your upbringing, right? Kind of is this reflective of uh, you know West Coast time spent there with your mom? Yeah, it was a it was a it was a menu that was. I I I push back on the statement you just made. I think Maxwell's trading is going to be the first menu that's really reflective of my past thus far. Um, Pacific Standard Time was a California restaurant, right? Um, I had an incredible meal there with Tim. Yeah, I had PST. many incredible meals. Yeah. Did you have the duck? I don't remember. We had like a, it was not, was it like a tasting menu, but it was like you could choose. There was like a kind of a, so. there, we oh, sat, it might've been an yeah, event. I think it was some yeah. sort of event. It was hundred percent some kind of like set menu. Yeah. It was a cool restaurant. It yeah. was a beautiful restaurant. It was a big restaurant. Very big restaurant. And with kind of, I remember hearing about the rooftop and being like, there's no rooftop, but if we're clever, there could be a rooftop 
and if we're patient. Do I tell that story? It's kind of interesting. And from a from a business perspective. I I mean, I think I know what you're getting at. So the rooftop was just kind of hung as a possibility mm-hmm. when we signed the lease at Pacific Standard Time. And we just waited and were patient. And then the ownership of the building kind of came back to us with a great offer for the rooftop and we kind of took advantage of it. Yeah. Was that the story? The story I heard, I think what Josh told me was that like, because of a hotel somewhat adjacent to where Pacific Standard Time was, rooftops had a bad rap in that area. And it was like, these guys are doing it wrong. We want to do it right. We need to talk to the alderman and explain that we have an actual concept to make this good. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would, that was actually really interesting for me. That was my first, you know, that was my first kind of aldermanic experience and just understanding how that worked in Chicago. Yeah, there was a really bad reputation of rooftops around yeah. Chicago. And we had to go, the alderman was like, if I give you permission to do this, like, he's like, you got to understand, like, I, I get, I get, I hear so much about bad rooftops like what are you going to do right what are you going to do to 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 guarantee me that like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna have another one of these headaches on my on my hands and we just had to go to him and put together a business case and put together an entire presentation that said like like this is what we're going to do um you know we're never going to have live music up there we're never going to do this we're never going to do that and and, you know we assure you that you know we're going to do you proud for your neighborhood and Mm -hmm. i think i just really realized how invested he was in his neighborhood at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was that was a story. It, for me, the great part about that was just getting to meet Brenda Riley and like understanding understanding what was important to him and his vision for his district, um, his ward. So, yeah, that was that was a story. Yeah, I won't talk COVID stuff because I just re-listened to your episode of Overserved, um, Maggie and Ari's podcast, where. They interviewed you like right at the start of the pandemic. It was the COVID interview. <clears throat> it was the COVID interview. So right. if anyone wants to hear about how <laughs> Erling and Josh navigated the pandemic, you can revisit that episode. It's very funny. Um, not <laughs> fun. It's a it's a good listen. It's not funny that uh, you guys were dealing with uh, <laughs> a global pandemic that right. shut down your restaurant. Still cracking Tim up though. <laughs> I can't get enough. Of <laughs> uh, no. All right. So so now after after PST. We don't have to talk about the end. You of can that. if you want. Do to, you want to? Yeah. Okay. So, at a certain point during the pandemic, no, the future is uncertain and money is owed. So, how do you? I guess talk through the exit. Um. Yeah, that, the exit of PST. It goes. It goes a little bit deeper than that. I just think that, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I just not for the lack of trying. And um, we went our separate ways. If that sounds general, I apologize. But no, no it's fine. Okay, I, yeah. I think that's. I am very thankful to them. I mean, look, I just told you my history, and I told you a one-off story, right? So I can't not say thank you, right? Yeah. Period. End of sentence. Um, we just had different visions of what the future was supposed to be, and you know. Uh, COVID was the accelerant on the fire. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, if you take the pandemic out of the equation, does that split still happen? But that just no, expedited I like it. To, I don't like to play that game. Yeah. Right. Okay. We are where we are. Yeah. So after PST, you do consulting work. Yep. 
Um, Underscore still does that, right? Or no? We have another company yeah. called Ripe Fruit. Oh, okay. Um, it, it. The partnership is me. That's me, Josh, Amanda Rockman. Oh, cool. Who's a baller. Yeah. Um, and uh, Jess Seberg, who was our uh, director of events and development at PST. And we're in, well, Josh has moved to Atlanta. Atlanta, Chicago, Milwaukee, and Austin. So we're spread nicely throughout the States. And we just take on various different dynamics. Amanda still in Texas? Yeah, she's in Austin. Oh, cool. She, uh, um, operating hotels. Yeah, she's I remember a, reading about that. Cool. Um, helped quite a bit with the dessert menu at Maxwell's. Oh, nice. You'll see some. You'll see some classics. Some Amanda be, stuff. You'll see some Amanda classics that we're pretty excited to bring back to Chicago. Nice. I know Notre Dame was one of your clients. Yeah. Um, what does that look like? Are they Are they looking at alums? How does that? Are you like an active? Are you active in like the? I would, uh, we we started we started consulting with Notre Dame at. at at uh, Pacific Standard Time, uh, Notre Dame, this truly amazing woman named Mickey Kidder, uh came to me and said, "You know, part of my part of my division is a restaurant and need some help." And I, you know, put together a package for her, and she was like, "Yeah, let's do it." So that's what started the relationship. And then after PST um, uh, dissolved, she took on Ripe Fruit and myself as uh, as advisors and stayed there for two or three years. I mean, it couldn't be. I was very lucky and um, grateful for the partnerships that I had in mm-hmm. the last three years. It's really just allowed me some space and some time. Yeah, like a lifeline. Yeah, I mean, I hope and I know that I delivered for them, but yeah. uh, but but also, yeah, it was it was absolutely lifeline. I could have been quickly quickly thrown back into a kitchen, right? Right. Which would have life, life is chapters. Like it's it, it's <laughs> life is definitely a narrative, and it's definitely told in chapters. And like this chapter was just a very interesting and unique, <laughs> right? Just kind of like unpredictable. Chilled out, raised a raised a kid from like literally out of the womb until right now, right? Like <laughs> so, he's a absolute brick <laughs> shit house. <laughs> but like, um, but yeah, that's that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting transition. Like I'm, I've been so in their lives for the last three years and you know yeah in the management interviews and in the in, in, in the interviews between uh general manager and, and chef you know i always want the general manager or the chef to interview me more than me interview them and both of them are like well, what's really important to you i'm like in balance i hate i hate work the term work-life balance but like and i don't think that like I don't imagine that when people think when I say I, I want to be there for my kids, like I'm not going to be there, you know, during service. Or I got to be in service. But like, by balance, I mean like, I hope I can figure out how to raise a cool ass restaurant family. Like, I really want Max to come. Max is my older kid. Like, I really want him to come to the restaurant and do homework. Like, do homework at the restaurant and just get like a couple hours of restaurant and then run around and torment the dishwashers a little bit and just like, <laughs> right, just like feel what it's Leave like to be in a restaurant. Leave the walk-in open like, and then yeah, all your produce yeah. goes. Yeah, back. like, like everybody's like, man, are you are you scared that your kids are going to be in the restaurant industry? I'm like, hell no, man. Like, I would love my kids to be in the restaurant industry. Right, like I hope they love it. Yeah, so. that's that's rare. A lot of people that come on the pod talk about how they grew up in a restaurant thing, and then the parents were like, you're not going to work here. And then somehow they're always kind of, I think because they're, they're comfortable with it. It's familiar to them. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would, I would love it. I would love it if I can set an example for my son so that like they want to be a part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I hope that I am lucky enough to be successful so that they see it as something other than this restaurant that we have, you know, yeah, so, like aspirational. Hell yeah. Like I love what we do. Right. Like I could have kept doing what this last chapter had easily. Right. But mm-hmm. I want to, 
work harder and later and more. Like there's obviously something about it that's great. So last question on consulting. I swear I saw that you did the menu at Magic Lounge. Is that true? I swear to God, I saw food by Erling Mubauer. And then the next time I went back, it wasn't on the menu. And I'm like, that couldn't have been a fever dream. Did you do the menu there? It was not a fever dream. Okay. All right. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because the food there is good. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a very cool spot. Hell yeah. Like, I, I, that's that's a cool-ass spot. That, that Chicago, was the that was was stock like, yeah. uh, uh, holiday party last year. We took everybody. We went to um, Sunwa and then went over to the oh, Magic that's, that's Lounge. That's a night right there. That's yeah. a good Chicago night. That, that is fun. a sweet, sweet situation. All and, right. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So you have a son named Max. Maxwell, probably. Where is the pluralized Maxwell's name coming from? Because it's so not... it's actually possessive, but we hate the way the apostrophe looks. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, I saw it in writing everywhere and on the website, and there's no apostrophe. So I was like, "There's two Maxwell." I feel like oh man, it. crazy. Talk, who's the other? Max? We talked about that <laughs> yeah. damn apostrophe so fucking much. Just like, just because it, it so came up in a uniform bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like, but it's just one Maxwell. That it is one Maxwell. It's possessive, not plural. I appreciate the detail. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> I had a panic attack because we're your aprons are in production now, and when the patches came in the labels for the pockets on the aprons and i saw you know i ordered extra so we have some for reorders i had like 500 patches come in no apostrophe i had a panic attack I'm like, <laughs> oh god oh god we got to remake yeah, all the yeah. patches <laughs> oh, so of man. course i sent it to you for approval and you said it looks great you go, i, I kind of love it <laughs> <laughs> except that the straps got to be longer on the aprons. We're we're elongating the I straps. I need room to grow. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, that's making it into the pot. Yeah. Um, all, right, all right. So how does so you, you guys are consulting and you guys are in different cities now? How does the uh, opportunity to open Maxwell's come about, or is or do you guys create this? Like, are are you approached? Because I know there's a connection with Roof Crop. And uh, so how, we, how did that all come about? Uh, we're at Pacific Standard Time. This, is, this restaurant's been two and a half years in the planning. So, um, Yeah, we, I think Josh mentioned it. I, I had drinks with Josh last summer. It's so like a year and a half ago, and he was telling me about Maxwell's. And it, it wasn't called Maxwell's then. No. Um, had no name at the time. So we were at PST at the time we started planning Maxwell's. And Josh and I have always, it was time to look for another restaurant. We just felt that we had the bandwidth to do it. And Josh and I, whenever we travel together, which we do often, um, are always, we always gravitate towards warehouse districts, right? Like we just find ourselves in restaurants that are just kind of in these um, artsy, um, kind of like personality-filled warehouse districts in big cities, right? New Orleans really comes to mind. Los Angeles comes to mind. I mean, there's not many warehouse districts in Manhattan anymore, but... Um, and, uh, I would just drive around and throw a podcast in, throw music in and, uh, try to figure out where the next restaurant was going to be. And we kind of happened on what I now know is called the Kinsey industrial corridor, which starts at Ogden and moves West in between, um, Grand and Lake, right? To, I don't know where it ends, to be honest with you. I think it ends at Western. Um, does it? Is that it end at Western? Western? No, no, no. Because, uh, oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I've All been right, there so. eight years. Yeah, I mean, you have, you have, some, expertise. You have some expertise. Um, so we started looking at various places in the corridor, both on the east and west side of um, Ashland. 
Uh, I was really attracted to the area around all the breweries right there. There's a ton of great boat trust buildings in that area. Um, and then concurrently, Tracy Boychuk, the owner of the Roof Crop, was uh, uh, doing flowers at PST. And we really struck up a friendship because she asked me a question. She's like, when can I do these flowers when, you know, you're not busy? And I was like, no, 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 no. I want you to do the flowers in the middle of the restaurant, in the middle of lunch service. So there's like flowers getting arranged mm. while lunch is going on. I like on. that. And she was like, well, that's a crazy idea. How'd you come up with it? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like Steve's Flower Shop, there's flower stems all over the floor. And I love it, right? And so we really hit it off because she was getting a ton of engagement while she was doing flowers there and she was really enjoying it and we just struck up a relationship and i through that relationship realized that she was already in the kinsey industrial corridor on the east side of ashland at fifteen sixteen west carroll which is going to be maxwell's trading and the new headquarters of the roof crop and she said hey i'm just gonna start joining you when you do these drive arounds let's do it together i'm like great um so started looking at the spaces together and slowly realized that the space that she already had was the perfect place for the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is um, an artist, a designer, and a visionary. And she was like, we're going to do this big. So she, uh, the 1516 West, West Carroll was two buildings that were kind of jammed together, a warehouse and an old building. It was basically a floor and a quarter and it's now going to be a three-story building um that's made up of the restaurant private dining for the restaurants um the roof crop um a a a business to business consultant um and a design studio and a retail shop it's this hive of food and creation and design activity where all of the different, you know, where all the different pieces trade with each other, hence Maxwell's trading. Um, obviously the roof crop grows for the restaurant. There's three greenhouses that so will be able to have food throughout the winter. There's bees on the roof. We'll have the honey. Um, you know, the Tierney honey is just not getting the look. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> don't bring it up. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, the, the the retail shop will have, you know, yarns that are dyed with the crops um, that they grow on various rooftops in Chicago. There'll be a coffee shop in the design studio. Um, we're going to have uh, old and rare records for sale in the design shop. The music in the restaurant will largely be vinyl. Oh, shit, let me say it. It's going to be 100% vinyl. I need to, com- <laughs> I need to commit yeah, to commit it. Commit if, I, if I don't commit to it, it'll quickly become yeah. it'll quickly become a playlist-based uh, restaurant. Vinyl, yeah. is, vinyl is part of one of the founding philosophies of the restaurant because Josh and I just want to sit around and drink gin and listen to records. It's kind of the, the conceptual. I could hang for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the conceptual yeah. <laughs> genesis of, the, of, the, of, the, of Maxwell's. Um, and so Tracy just like, in this crazy output of vision came up with this idea, right? And then fucking execute it, which is crazy. And uh, I almost hate describing it with words because it doesn't do the space justice. Like when you guys come and walk through it, you'll see that it's just, it, it's really crazy. This rooftop that has beautiful views of downtown. There's three greenhouses. I already said that on the rooftop. And then just how how singular this building is. Um yeah. So that's what that's where Maxwell's going to be in. Um, the food itself is uh, what am I calling it today? <laughs> I'm calling it uh, 
intimately personal cuisine. It's not, I'm not going to, I wish I had like a single two-word synopsis of what the cuisine is, but um, I really want to explore where my career's been and what my heritage is, and uh, it's all over the place. I'm a true Chicago mutt, and uh, the food is this really intimate exploration of where I've been and who I am and where Chris is and um, what and what he is and um, the food that we've been cooking and not to not to say it and jinx it but it's it's really singular it's yeah. really personal it, it's it's not one of the things I tell Chris all the time is like we gotta throw fastballs right like I've done it I've I've tried to get up on the mound and throw some crazy shit and like breakfast tripe. I mean, this would be the perfect example, right? <laughs> it was a strike, but a lot of umpires wouldn't have called it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, man, what a dumbass. <laughs> uh, Do you want to talk about, I mean, I, I got a quick peek at the menu, and I think you kind of, everything looks like a banger, but are there a couple things you're most excited about? I know you mentioned the gnocchi. Are there a couple other things where that you want to? Yeah, I point mean, out. I can, I, th- there's the dishes that really walk the line that are that I would like to talk about. We're doing, you know, my mother grew up in Thailand. Uh, she's Chinese, but did a lot of her growing up in Thailand. There's this delicious um, fluke, probably fluke most of the time, crudo. It's just an absolutely nuts dish where you make this really uh, sweet and spicy chili vinaigrette, basically, and then you take toasted coconut and you put it in the vinaigrette and you mix the fish in it um, and lemongrass and you serve this, like, delicious tartar almost on a nasturtium leaf is like a bite it's gonna be really mm. cool um that is pretty much a straight tie dish uh and then one of the things that developed at evac right like is that hot fresh bread is super important so uh, restaurants always had bread like really good homemade fresh bread uh it was the pita at pst mm-hmm. we're gonna do this kind of collision between naan and scallion pancakes um, on a flat top, this is and it's it's a uh, it's sour started, so it's got a great wow. flavor. That could be the collab of the year. Yeah, with various dishes, with various dishes, duh, with various dips. <laughs> um, the easy and obvious ones being things like whipped ricotta with roof crop hot honey and uh, black pepper, um, mm. and then like French onion dip because. We're from Chicago. Yeah. Everybody should bow down. Now you got us all <laughs> to hungry French over here. Dip. Yep. And then, uh, so that's Daisy's really- is pretty good, actually. There, uh, I just went and had it. So it's top of mind. There, uh, the onion dip with the kind of ruffles chips. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, have, I, I haven't been to the new Daisy's yet. I've been. I had yeah. plenty of pastries. I live in Pilsen, so Logan is kind of yeah, pain in the a butt. suburb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Uber ride's now thirty five dollars. Yeah. It's like no, not sweet. <laughs> Um, and then I think the dish that really walks it the best is this fazioletti dish. So think wide cut pappardelle, egg noodles, uh, braised lamb. That's a traditional dish, traditional Italian dish. Um, braised lamb, fazioletti. We take the braise, we braise it with traditional kind of sweet Szechuan spices. So star anise, cinnamon, soy sauce, black pepper, um, tons of allium, ginger, garlic, uh, Cooking sherry, Chinese cooking, Chinese Sounds cooking so sherry, good. and then we pick it up with the braising liquid, the lamb, the pasta, and then chili crisp, mm. um, and then we garnish with with Parmesan cheese and scallion. It's just like it sounds so good. It's Italian, 
it's Chinese. It's specifically Chinese. Yeah. It's specifically Chinese. Like, I don't in any way want to condone pan-Asian cuisine. <laughs> it's slightly insulting, right? Um, I think we need to be specific with these forays into Asian cuisine, right? This is a this is a specific foray into Szechuan flavors, right? Um, so that's a really cool dish. And then there's another dish that's pretty much a straight up French dish, um, but it's we're gonna take turbo fish, very much like halibut. We're gonna cut it like a pie with its skin and its bones in, and then we're gonna grill it with its skins and its bones in, so the bones just really kind of like interact with the flesh and the skin and then to pick it up we're going to skin it take it off the bone put it on top of swiss chard and then very simply garnish it with kombu burr blanc and some some like lightly fried potatoes that's good Mm. it's a really good dish so we're doing a tasting after the interview is what you're saying (laughs) i've never been this ahead like like almost like i don't i feel a little bit too secure like whenever i feel like everything's doing okay i immediately think that something's Panic, gonna go yeah. terribly wrong when do we think it's gonna open <clears throat> winter okay <laughs> winter, <laughs> Sometime tw- winter 2024 <laughs> oh winter oh on the other side yeah. of the year Got i never it. know what's like what's proper like yeah winter 2023 slash 20 i know right? i always like, get confused yeah, when you do writing the cocktail seasons. menus yeah, 23 exactly. 24 season <laughs> exactly um all right sweet well um no real quick hold on so I, I, I do want to have uh, Josh on the pod for his own episode because I think he's one of the smartest people in restaurants and food. Um, but can you talk real quick about like your partnership and kind of the yin and yang of that and how you guys work together? Yeah, I mean, it's – I wish I had more details of why, we're, why it works. I, I trust him. The only person I trust more than him is my wife. <laughs> I think that's the basis of it. I think something also really important about Josh and I is that – we don't need to we don't feel like the need that the relationship requires like we are really good friends but we don't feel like we have to be do you know what i mean like it's a very strange line to draw like we don't need to go out with each other to feel like we we can be just business partners we can also be drinking buddies they don't have to go together right mm-hmm. like and there have been various stages of our lives and we've been more business partners and, you know, like it's just, there's, there's an interplay between that. It's just business partners first. Um, what makes Josh and I think what makes Josh and I so good is Josh is really good about, we're both do what we're supposed to do without having to tell each other what to do. Right. Like we both know, he knows that I'm going to take care of everything in the kitchen Right, and if we're unclear on who's going to take care of something, we have a quick conversation. We assign responsibility, and we take care of it. What makes Josh incredible as an operator is that he sees the whole restaurant picture better than anybody I've ever experienced. He is able to translate purchasing, front of the house management. Let me say it differently. He's able to speak purchasing front of the house management and kitchen. He can speak three different languages, and he can he can translate the shit show that's a restaurant into simple terms to managers. Right? It's a talent that I've never seen before. Right? Like being able to break down being able to break down a P and L into just black and white, easy to understand tidbits for a sous chef. Like that's hard. 
I yeah. struggle with that, right? And like he sees a sous chef or or or, or, or kitchen manager for for who they are, he understands what they need to hear to understand the concept, and he illustrates it. That's what makes Josh so great. Um, and he's also one of those super annoying person people that just like thinks in Excel. Like, when, do you, I mean, we know these people, right? Like, I love our, those our, people. Our we have one I'm at sure Stock, like, and she's, <laughs> she's like, amazing. Just pulls up an Excel sheet and like, just like he thinks in it. Yeah. <laughs> fucking stop showing off bro. Like, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll ask janelle a question and she's like "Ooh, let me put that in a spreadsheet and get back to you i'm like you don't have to do it she's like no i like it there are people like that i'm not that person he just stinks but i respect Excel, it and it's just like it's 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 phenomenal and he you know he josh lives in atlanta and i live in chicago now and not worried right like yeah there's huge there's like there's actually huge advantages to it right so i feel like all we do is talk about what I've done in my career. Sorry. No, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's the, the point. point of you yeah. being on this pod. Yeah. I've, I've been reading Unreasonable Hospitality, the Will Gadara book, and <clears throat> reading his just knowledge of operations. I'm like, I was thinking of Josh reading that book. I'm like, man, he has that level of, he's Chicago's Will Gadara. I'll just say it. Yeah. He's a, he is a, I, I don't, I don't know how he puts it all together. Yeah. Super lucky to, super lucky to have him as a You'll have to partner. tune, tune into his episode of Joiners. Certainly we'll spread you guys out a little bit. We'll we'll, we'll have a, we'll do a check in with Josh. His episode will be after you guys have been operating for a few months, and we'll perfect. Make sure everything's going smooth. Perfect. Now we can hit you with the gratuity round, lightning round, baby. I love it. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. Are you familiar? Have you listened to the pod earlier? I have listened to the pod. Okay. Good, because we have a quiz for you to make sure you've been listening. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. All right. All 70-something episodes. <laughs> yeah. So in episode 13, no. Uh, all right, what's your death row meal? Today, I'll tell you what it'll involve. It'll involve French fries with aioli and ketchup mixed together. Mm. It'll involve beef tartare. And then annoyingly it would involve like i wish i didn't want to say like it would involve like broccolini like whoa yeah like grilled broccolini with like tons of garlic and lemon and chili flakes okay Mm. now i get it right and then (laughs) and then simply grilled whole fish white flesh like um if i had if i had my jother's like american red snapper a small one Smaller the better, more tender. So let me put that all together. Does it sound good together? Fries, beef tartare, broccolini, and red snapper. Hell yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's that sounds pretty good. Are you preparing this meal? Or do you are Who would you, you trust? Or are you prepare? like, oh, I want the publican fries? I think PQM's got great fries. Publican had the best fries. Um It's the same at PQM, right? Same fry? I don't know today. Oh, I don't know. Either. It wasn't back in the day. Oh. Um I mean, I would like if I could if I could if I could marry them together. I'd cook the whole fish. Mm-hmm. I'd cook the broccolini. Who's doing the tartare? Mods. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was resurrecting good. Oh, I was going to suggest a soda cup one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and that tartar is now at Armored to Jailhouse, so you can you can have it at Armored to Jailhouse. They have it at Guild, too. Yeah. And then, yeah, Publican. Publican fries. Cool. That's a, that's a solid meal. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. <clears throat> What's your favorite hidden gem restaurant? I know you've got kids. You live in Pilsen. You don't get out much. $35 Uber to Logan. I have a lot of hidden gems. Are they hidden gems? Like the... We'll find out. Like... Urupan doesn't qualify. Yeah, that's not a hidden gem. Urupan I would say that like the, the 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 cafe at El Milagro on Blue Island is a hidden gem. Okay, it's hmm. a good There's one. There's like a buffet next to the the oh I've been to the, that next yeah. to the Tortilla Depot. Mm-hmm. That's a hidden gem. Um. Hmm. I mean, I gotta say this is a hidden gem because every I mean like. The burger at Portillo's, like, it's not a hidden gem by any means, but, like, it should be much more celebrated than it is. What are you getting on it? They're just a regular, just a regular cheeseburger at Portillo's. Everything on it. Everything on it, yeah. All right. Let me give that one more more quick thought here before we go on to the next question. I think the hidden buffet is a pretty good hidden gem. It's a pretty good hidden gem, but, like... Like QXY is not a hidden gem. No, no, doesn't qualify. We went for Danny's birthday. Yeah, delish. I'm lucky that that's one thing that Pilsen has is Chinatown, like right, yeah, yeah that's right there, so good. Like via DoorDash at any time. Yeah, dim sum delivered. You can't, can't beat it. Can't beat it. Um, real quick, this is a bonus question, but I know you were in New York City recently, and you mentioned some meals and restaurants, and I didn't. Make note of them, so I'm going to ask you again to record you, them. You, well, you said <laughs> you said the spots are awesome. It was like, man, a, we had a great trip. <laughs> yeah, um, we started. So Chris, bless you, bless you, thank you, Chris Jung, chef of the Ed Maxwell's Trading, has been. I've been going to New York, leaving for New York while he was cooking at PST for the longest time. And he would annoy me. He was like, are you going to Flushing? Are you going to Flushing? Are you going to Flushing? I'm like, no, I'm not going to fucking Flushing. He's like, you got to go to Flushing. It's so fucking good. And he would say this to me every time I go to New York to the point of fucking annoyance. And he finally got to take me to Flushing. I'm like, this is the most fucking built up food excursion of all time. Like, this better not disappoint. And he like, Flushing was fucking delicious. Really? Man. Like, uh, we went to a place that did um, soup dumplings. I like soup dumplings. I don't freak out about them like everybody else does, but there was lion's head meatballs at this place too. Crab, pork, egg. Hmm. What the fuck? And then this is going to, we went like the bite. Those were really good. We went and got like this Taiwanese boba tea. (laughs) That was the best bite I might've had on the whole trip. Hmm. Hmm. Caramelized. This boba was cooked in brown sugar caramel. And then done with like milk, like this, like this, like milk that's whipped with sweetener and floated on top of coffee. Just like what the, this is so fucking good. Um, so a great little excursion in uh, Flushing, and then we did what do we do? What wants to be highlighted? Via Corota, classic and delicious. Um, Fara was a killer experience. Just a whole bunch of like. I remember taking Josh there. Josh. Airs towards not wanting to like, in fact, hate fine dining, <laughs> and 
I told Chris not to do fine dining. We walked into Farah. It's not terribly fine, but we walked in. It's clearly like a little bit fancier. And Josh was like, God damn, I'm like, Chris, I told you not to do this. <laughs> and so like everything, it was the last meal. I, I insist that everybody does, you know, two dinners a night. So it was the last dinner of the night. Everybody was lined up to hate this place. And it was just like banger after banger wow. after banger. And even Josh was like, this is fucking good. So you know, right? Like he yeah. was, I mean, he had the knives out and couldn't say anything but good stuff. Sealed approval. And then we went to uh, the Josh selection along the lines of he he likes the he likes the hidden gems Zab Zap mm. in Brooklyn was freaking phenomenal and the spiciest shit I've eaten in a long mm. time like you need beer just just to exist <laughs> yeah. I love that. We're, maybe we're doing it wrong. When I go to the U.S. Open, I like <clears throat> go to Flushing and then I get the hell out of there to eat. Next no, time you gotta I'm gonna eat just and stay Flushing. in Flushing and eat. Yeah, good. Job. I have heard that the U.S. Open is one of the sporting events that like needs to be on the short list. Oh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's like, really good. And I, I say go earlier in the tournament and get a, just get a grounds pass, walk around and see all the course. Like it's fun to do like maybe one night at Arthur Ashe, but yeah. walking the grounds is, is the fun. Part. Bunch of New Yorkers talking shit to, t- to tennis players. Like really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously, like <laughs> sounds great to me. Uh, all right, what's your favorite fast food? I don't know if Portillo's counts. It, it has been well, mentioned in the past. I, I would say, like, of the, like, I'm a McDonald's guy, and the two, like, the museum piece of McDonald's is the hash brown. Like, belongs in the Museum of American Food. Tim just gave me one today. Really? Right? That is a sign of love, brother. Yeah. <laughs> and was. then, like, the, the savory, the, the double... The dub, not, not the double cheeseburger, but the two cheeseburger yeah. meal, just like the tiny cheeseburgers that you could eat in a yep. mouthful and a half to two mouthfuls. Yeah, that's that's, that's fucking good. Yeah, I love those cheeseburgers. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. All right, McD's guy. All right, what is your least favorite food? Like, I, don't ever give me a fucking parsnip. <laughs> like, like, what the fuck does a parsnip have to offer? I guess we got to change our guest gift. We had a, we had a whole basket of parsnips back here. <laughs> oh man, that's a good answer. Yeah, like, I don't really need a parsnip either. Yeah, there's a lot of vegetables around that list. Hang on to your parsnips. Uh, good Rutabaga is up there too, but like, it's not as ubiquitous as a parsnip. Like, mm-hmm. get the fuck away from your parsnips. <laughs> if you have a good one, it's a real testament to the chef, though. Uh, all right, what's your favorite cocktail? Vesper or Negroni. Yeah, you mentioned gin earlier. And are you going equal parts on your Negroni? No. Gin heavy. It's going to be slightly gin heavy. I'm not a two to one to one guy. I'm like one and a half. Like a one part and then an extra extra hit of gin, right? Mm -hmm. That's not cool. I drink more more martinis than Negronis these days just because it fucking old and sugar in a cocktail doesn't sit well the next day yeah we were just talking what is your negroni i always forget danny's is it two one and a quarter no it's three one and a half quarters? one three quarter one and a half so one, let me guess that's quarters. gin that's gin come uh gin campari vermouth in that order gin vermouth campari Oof. disagree it's what yeah. i've been doing but at you, home i mean you pour it. Yeah, yeah i've had your negroni <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's fun to mess around and find your exact balance. I thought there was grenadine in yours, Danny. Yeah, yeah, just tons of grenadine <laughs> for color. Serve it in a pomegranate. <laughs> <laughs> I served, I served my three-year-old uh, uh, avocado skin dipping cup of ranch the other day. He was just being like, I had like there was an empty avocado skin, and he had nuggets. I was like, 
ranch avocados. <laughs> <laughs> That's creative plating. Yeah, very creative. <laughs> Save some dishes. He loved it. It's awesome. Uh, what is one thing that's always in your fridge at home? A ton. There's always like four mustards. I think mustards are the key to, right? Key like to I like to eat. I like to eat my meal like looking in my refrigerator. Like I don't. I don't need to get any dishes as dirty. It's just like whatever proteins left, like with mustard and hot sauce, out of the bottle, straight onto it. Like, that's, yeah, that's the key. And of those mustards, like, like the I can never say the name. Mie, my had like oh yeah, yeah miel. Yeah, miel. Like their grainy mustard, just their basic mm. grainy mustard that has no smoothness to it. It's just all grain. Like that's this the standard mustard. It's mustard caviar. Yeah, exactly. It's got great <laughs> texture, and it's not like you can pile like I slice my pork. Like pork chops are the protein. There's almost always pork chops in the house, and like. Sliced pork chop with like covered with this stuff. Can't do better. Hmm. Yeah. All right. What is your go to host gift? My go to host gift? Wine. Yeah. Yeah. And is that wine to be enjoyed with the meal? Or do you would you prefer that the recipient store it away for another time? Well, that's gonna get me in trouble, but it depends on the fucking we decided the host. We decided yeah. the best host gift is to go with a, an open bottle of wine. Co- so you get so to have enjoy it. you take the choice away. <laughs> I like to. I like to. Cr- it's I mean, been open for you six cork days. it on the doorstep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I usually plan a little bit too much. Like, fresh, like yeah. I want. I'm giving this to you for this exact situation, right? Like this. This rosé would be great. Like, yeah, it depends on, like, on eighty degree day. The prompt in the cup holder of your golf cart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's a good one. Favorite band or musician? Are we going vinyl era? Aretha Franklin. Nina Simone, tied for the top. Wow. Nina Simone's pretty pretty solid. Man. I mean, both, obviously. I, I mean, she just, like... I just watched... I was just watching Aretha on YouTube the other day, the, the clip of her singing for Carol King's Kennedy Center induction when Barack Obama, like, sheds a tear. Like, I just... She's, she has pipes at seventy, right? Yeah. Like, mm. and then her. I mean, I never loved the man that I, the, I never loved the man the way I love you. That album is just the funk, right? Her her musicians on that album are just. We'll play a lot of Maxwell's trading. We'll play, play a lot of Nina too. Yeah, a lot. Nina Nina sings the blues like. Yeah, that's a great. Looking great forward to hearing album. it over there. Excellent yeah. choice. Ah, uh, favorite movie that you never were exposed to as a kid. That's changed throughout the ages. Should we go by genre? Favorite comedy, <laughs> drama. Give an answer for favorite everybody. drama. Favorite <laughs> drama. I have two favorite dramas: Shawshank Redemption and Godfather Two. Yeah, Godfather Two is the best Godfather. That's a lot of people I'm, would agree with. I'm you. adamant about that. Which yeah. is rare for a sequel to outshine. It's the same movie. That's that's the thing, right? It's yeah. one movie, but um, with an ex- extended cast. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a great movie. Um, Caddyshack two, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> Caddyshack two is the worst golf movie of all time. Um, it really is worse than Legend of Badger Vance, right? <laughs> <He's in laughs> Badger Vance. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm also a sucker for high fidelity. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's classic. Yeah. All right. Last question. If you weren't doing this, what the hell would you be doing? Making furniture. Really? Yeah. Do you make furniture? I try to. 
Really? What? I'm a poor. I mean, I mean, like buy plans for an Adirondack chair online and make them. Really? Not not nearly enough. Like it's not something I'm doing right now, but I would love to make furniture. That'd be awesome. So would I. Do you? Uh, are you like a furniture collector? Like, are you very picky so about the stuff unf- you bring in your house? Unfortunate habit, and unfortunately, like my wife or I don't have an. Like we don't. Neither of us are limiting the other. Right. Mm, like that's it's, tricky. It's, 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 it's a tough. She and I need to stop it. Yeah. I mean, the other answer would be golf course architect, but yeah, that'd, like, be, that'd sweet. be fun. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> be like Tom Doak, Gil Hans. Let's do. You want to get into this? Let's go. Yeah, like, let's oh, go. Like this is a whole another hour and a half, right? Yeah. Like, What's the strongest part of your golf game? Short game. What's not the weakest putting, part? Not putting. Irons. Approach game. Yeah, like I, I drive the ball a long way, but not straight. And so yeah, I've had that's to. That's also fi- tough. We have a lot in common. I, 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 I've had to find like I've I, I can be really creative with my irons. Yeah. And that has lent into having a great short game because I yeah. understand the way the club interacts with the ground and the ball, but like I'm never in the fucking fairway, so I don't have like. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> I don't. Were, I don't have to improve on that part of the game. Your we, recovery we can game must a golf be very cart. good if you're a five with it, a bad drive. My short game is yeah. It's all it's all short game. I'm around the green consistently, yeah, nice. and I just got to find find a way into the hole. All right. Cool. That just really makes its way on the podcast. Yeah, it Fuck did. Yeah. you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect note to end on. Yeah. Fuck Danny. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Erling. All right. All right thank thanks, you, guys. Man. This was awesome. And that concludes our conversation with Erling Wu Bauer of Maxwell's Trading. Thanks for tuning in this week. And remember to check us out on social media at Joiners Pod for exclusive content cocktails, reels, and throwback photos of our guests. This episode was produced by Matt Haddock, music by Captain Cuts, and of course our real work is done by the one and only Joe Guzzo III. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. blooms for the world to see Blooms home